Hi, this is Wendy Whalen. Thank you for joining us on New Combinations. Hello and welcome, Elisa Pyers. Hi. So happy to have you here with us. We've been waiting, yes. right? We've been waiting for this. So you did some work at the Choreographic Institute for a couple of sessions. Yeah, spring and fall of 2019. Okay, so pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then... Did you know you had a commission with us then? In between. Okay. Yeah, so I did the spring 2019 session with the SAB students, and that's when I first met Jack Frere, the composer that I'm collaborating with, and that was really actually the genesis of this work, Standard Deviation. And then a couple months later, after that happened and went well and people seemed to like it, um, I got an email from you and from Justin offering me the company commission, which was originally set for spring 21. And I remember in 2019 thinking, man, that's so far from now. <laughs> that's a long time to wait. And then it ended up being another two years. I think you had another commission. You were like, oh, I'm actually booked or something. Or well, something came up and you were like, oh, no, this doesn't work for me now. When we were trying to reschedule, there was, the, you know, the pandemic happened and then there was this whole process of everyone trying to juggle and push back and... Re-entering, yeah. balancing, so there was up. there was some challenges trying to... It kind of went from zero to 100 because everything was canceled Nothing was happening. My husband and I decided to have a baby. <laughs> and then that baby was born and all these projects came back, back to back to back to back to back. So it's been a while. My daughter's a year and a half now. And it's been pretty nonstop since mm -hmm. she was born, mm -hmm. which, you know, there's never a perfect time. <laughs> but as challenging as it's been, I'm grateful that I get to live both of my dreams simultaneously and that's only because of the incredible support from my husband and my family and our extended family of friends and the organizations I'm working with supporting me and helping us move through this with baby in tow. <laughs> nice. Let's go back to the music because mm. I I know the Choreographic Institute doesn't always have commissioned music or combine a choreographer with a musician. Jack Frerer, who's the composer of your piece, yeah. started from scratch with this piece of work. Yeah, so and we... how did you guys get hooked up? Right. Did they just hook you up in the Choreographic Institute? Yes and no. So the that session, there were three choreographers and three composers. And we sent... We submitted sort of little work samples. So I got to hear a little bit from all of the composers. And then after that, we set up little, I, I always call it like speed dating. We set up. I was going to say mystery date. Yeah. yeah. This was pre-Zoom because it was before the pandemic. But we set up little FaceTimes or whatever. And we would just chat. And then we were supposed to self-assign. Just choose who we wanted to work with. You know. What if somebody got left out? Well, this is, I have some social anxiety, so this was a big fear of mine. Oh. <laughs> was that no one would want to work with me. And so I, my, the first composer that I spoke to was Jack. And we talked, I think, for an hour effortlessly, and we just connected as people. We talked about our work samples, but barely. We just sort of chatted and got to know each other. And at the end of that conversation, Jack had already spoken with the other choreographers. 
and he said, you're my number one. I want to work with you. And so I thought, phew, at least somebody wants me. (laughs) But I wanted to be fair to the other composers because I hadn't spoken with them yet. So after I had those meetings, which were not as fluid, I didn't connect with them in the same way that I did with Jack. I knew that it was meant to be. I emailed him back saying, you know, you're my guy. Here's your rose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Will you accept this rose? Um, So we chose to collaborate from the very beginning. We just talked about what was going on in our lives and tried to find common ground there. And we really devised this piece from where we were both at personally. And I don't think that was everyone's process. I think some of the other pairs, either the composer said, this is what I want to do, or the choreographer said, this is what I want to do. But we really worked together from the ground up. So at the time, he was in his last year at Juilliard, and I was starting to work more with the National Ballet of Canada. I was just coming into my position as choreographic associate there. And so we were both talking about what it meant to be unique and creative and an individual inside of these big major institutions, particularly thinking about coming into City Ballet and the history and the tradition and the aesthetic. Balancing is in the air. So how do you come into this space that is filled with all of that and then try to find your voice inside of it? So we connected on this idea of individuality versus conformity. Not that that's what these institutions are doing, but but this was our... Standard deviation. Th- yeah, exactly. This was just our jumping off point of what does it mean to be unique? What does it mean to be an individual? And what does it mean to create, which requires reflection, which requires stepping back inside of a space that has a relentless pace? That, you know, these big institutions have to just keep chugging along. And so when you're inside of that, it can feel a little bit like a machine sometimes. And being creative is not linear. It's not something that happens on a regular like a switch. Yeah, 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 on a regular pace. So that was our jumping off point was, you know, how do you find your voice and be creative inside of these big institutions? But what's interesting is you both finding your voice together and making it one voice as this piece. Yeah. Which is, like, remarkable. Yeah, yeah. So Jack wrote a 10-minute version for four musicians for the Institute, which I worked with that played live in the studio when we did those showings. When I was offered the company commission, there wasn't any pressure to continue with that work or requirement to continue with that work but I really wanted to okay I felt like I didn't get to say everything that I wanted to say within the 10 minute and the two week confines of the institute Mm -hmm. and Jack felt the same Mm -hmm. so I don't think it's typical to have a commission score for a choreographer's first commission but John said you know we've heard Jack's work and we're really excited about the continuation of this work from the Institute to the company and that trajectory. So Mm -hmm. he said that was fine. Yeah, (laughs) it is rare. It's very rare. And we really don't commission a ton of music here lately. Right. So um, it is refreshing that this will be brand spanking new in both directions, choreography and composition. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, the, the process of expanding the work 
for the company was not just about taking the 10 minutes and stretching it out, <laughs> yeah. but was finding a new arc and a new, new a bit rooms. of a n- new rooms to yeah, go into. Yeah, totally. So yeah. digging deeper into some of the aspects that we liked and then also totally finding new mm-hmm. parts. So Did it's, you have a lot to say in that? And that decision, and those yeah, oh, dis- yeah, that were was, you like, I need a five minute this, or I need it. That was totally Jack and I together. We, yeah, you really, I really broke it down. I think we've been. You're a note t- person. I right? am a note person. I love that <laughs> yeah. you were like very yeah, type I have A. Sticky notes everywhere. Sticky notes, and charts, and, and charts. things like that. <laughs> and you got one of those brains. Yeah. Everything is very uh, drawn yeah. out. Yeah. I, I like um, I like to be organized, but. Um, yeah, we it was all conversations about what else can we say here? What do we want to dig deeper into? I really feel like Jack and I have been in this together the whole way through. And what was really beautiful was that when he was writing, we spent a lot of time conceptualizing and talking about what, obviously we had a long time to think about it, but when we knew it was happening for real, for real, we sat down and we conceptualized what else is in here. And then he wrote a couple of things for me. I had a week in July which was the institute supporting a little bit of research for me for the company commission, which was incredible. And I, I can't... Which is new. We've never done that. This You were the first. You and yeah, Kirati were the... And I can't mm-hmm. thank Adrian and everyone at the institute enough for that because it was such an important time for me to be able to try stuff and then step away. Mm-hmm. And also working with Jack, I could try things, video things, or he could come to the studio and watch... And then he could go away and write. And we were able to have more of a back and forth process in that way, where often the music has to be written months and months in advance. So that gave us an opportunity for him to go based off my videos, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he wrote a couple new little tidbits, just samples of things. And then we structured this new version. And he was doing the bulk of that writing and preparing the score in sort of November, December of this past year. And so I obviously was not in the studio working on the, the piece at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to kind but of... you were here casting. I was right? here yeah, casting a little bit, casting. yeah. And I was actually with my daughter full-time during the majority of Jack's writing process. So I was available to kind of hold his hand long distance Mm -hmm. when he was having moments of doubt or uncertainty and then he's been able to do the same for me now that you know that the score is done and his work is sort of over and then I come into the studio and I'm having moments maybe where I'm feeling a little unsure or or having some self-doubt and then he's been able to provide that back for me so it worked out really well just logistically that we were able to be there for each other as collaborators and as people. That's remarkable. Yeah. I, I don't know when I've ever heard this kind of story, like that you're, you and your collaborator who you just met become sort of two sides of a coin. Yeah. And that you got this natural chemistry. Yeah. We just, mm-hmm. we just jived. And I think that's something that is often overlooked, the hangout ability of some Collaborations. That yeah. Yeah. Because as much as you respect someone's work and as much as they might inspire you creatively, there's a lot of just dealing with the other person. You have to relax with them. Yeah. And if there's not enough time, then you can't do that. And this little extra week that was offered to you, it was a you know very private, like a residency, like all the time was yours right. to just dive in to exploring your ideas. So 
and we used that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And I came back and used some of that material, mm-hmm. and some of it, you know, will never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. But that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an important part of the process. But I think I was saying to Glenn, my rehearsal director, the other day, that I feel like making steps is just a fraction, a minute part of what being a choreographer is. And managing people mm-hmm. and managing scheduling and managing mm-hmm. a bunch of other things mm-hmm. is really the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm dealing with humans, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hate it when people say, oh, choreographers are painters and the dancers are their paints. Mm-hmm. And I always say, your paints didn't break up with their boyfriend last night. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. not inanimate objects. They're mm-hmm. real people mm-hmm. and they're dealing with real life stuff and injury and personal stuff and you know, they're maybe coming in with a lot, you know, that I don't see. And so being sensitive, but also being clear and being a clear leader, I try to cultivate a really positive space. I think we laugh a lot, yeah, but we're also working hard. I try to perch myself on the edge of hard work and enjoyment. That's what I've heard <laughs> after rehearsals. I've, I've been checking in. How's it going? How's it going? And people are like, oh, she's so fun, but she is very demanding, you know, so <laughs> yeah. like you're getting both in there and, and that's how you, that's how you pull the best out of them is you, you're open and you're warm, but you also say, I need more and give me, you know, try that again. And yeah. yeah, well, that makes me so happy to hear because... Yeah, you're achieving it. I think it's so important. Obviously, we make work for the audience to see, mm-hmm. but I make work just as much for the dancers mm-hmm. because it lives in their bodies, mm-hmm. and they're the ones doing it, and it doesn't exist without them. So if it doesn't feel good... and, and just, If it goes against their nature. Yeah, just you can physically see it. if it doesn't feel good, but also the steps carry the memory of the process. Mm -hmm. So if they've had a negative experience, regardless of how pretty those steps are or how nice they feel or how good they look doing it, it holds the memory of the process. So agree. And so if they, if they've had a negative, Mm -hmm. not that everyone needs to like me. Right. Or, you know, that'd be nice. It's just cultivating (laughs) a good space. Yeah. A good space so that people can bring their best when they're offering it out. It's like soil. You're feeding the soil so that that bloom can be yeah. a healthy, happy bloom and go on. And, and, and live past when this process finishes mm-hmm. because, you know, I get to see, in this case, I'm here for the first two shows, but then I'm gone and back to Toronto, back to Canada, and hopefully the work lives on. And that's because of the dancers and that's mm-hmm. because of Glenn. And mm-hmm. at that point... I hope that the residue of the process can linger, that that positivity and that enjoyment, but also that mm-hmm. searching for more and that pushing for a different way of moving or a more expansive way or whatever it is that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. I hope that, that the aftershock of that <laughs> or, or the residue of that lives with the work. I'm curious because I, I know you a little bit. We are very good emails and textures and on the (laughs) phone and I'm like so so comfortable with you but I don't really know a ton of your history as a dancer as a creator and you seem very very comfortable with ballet dancers but your movement seems very contemporary and very uniquely your own 
but very much about the movement and the space that you take in the movement. Mm. Tell us a little bit about where, where does that do come I, from? Where do I come from? What's, your, what's a little bit of the why Why are you who you are? I mean, okay, so I'll give in you... In a nutshell. Yeah, the rundown, the rundown. So I grew up on the west coast of Canada on Vancouver Island, and I was always dancing. My parents say, you know, they put me in every sport, they put me in every activity, and all I did was dance. I asked to be put in the goal of the soccer team. You know, when you're little and you don't actually have spots yet and you just rotate. I always wanted to play goalie because it meant I could just dance. In your stage. Yeah, yeah. while they were while they were on the, the little proscenium. Yeah. They were on the other side of the field and I could just do my little solos. So I was always dancing. And it always felt like I was doing it. You know, I mm-hmm. I love figure skating, I love gymnastics, but I wanted them to teach me a triple axel on the first day. And I was disappointed when they didn't. obviously. But a plie is a plie is a plie. You learn it on your first day and you do it till the last day of your career. And so to me, dancing always felt like I was doing it. Mm -hmm. It, I would learn new things. I would get better, but I was always dancing, Mm. always making my own dances too, forcing my cousins into performances for our family dinners, but repeating steps, which I think is... That's rare. Yeah. Yeah, that's not normal. And like normal. setting steps. You're not normal, Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very, yeah, that's a special thing. So I grew up doing, you know, tap, jazz, all of that, and ballet. But in high school, I fell in love with contemporary dance. I saw professional contemporary dance for the first time. Do you remember who it was? Like, I, what was well, the, the thing first, that knocked your the, socks off? The first company I think that I remember seeing in Victoria, where I grew up, Toronto Dance Theater came and toured, and also Ailey, too, came. Oh, amazing. Dance Victoria is an amazing presenter. They bring in a ton of incredible companies every year. And growing up in outside of Victoria, I got to see a lot, especially for a place that can be... It's an island. It's in Canada. It can be a little bit segregated or... Um, you know, kind of far away, Mm -hmm. but they bring in a lot. So I got Mm -hmm. to see a lot. I joined a pre-professional youth company where we got to work a lot on process. Mm. We got to work with choreographers. And I realized that I liked being in the studio way more than I liked being on stage. Mm -hmm. Often dancers will say, being Mm -hmm. on stage is the most amazing feeling. And Mm -hmm. I would go, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Because it's nice. It's fun. But I really like process. Mm -hmm. And then I realized being a choreographer... You get to do that all the time. Mm. So I moved to Toronto. I, I went to what is now called Toronto Metropolitan University. Formerly, mm. it was called Ryerson. And it's a conservatory degree. I was, wondering, I was wondering if you had conservatory education at yeah. that level. Yeah. So I trained there. The dance training is in ballet and contemporary dance mm-hmm. and jazz as well. Mm-hmm. Mostly contemporary dance. And I did a lot of Limone, just oh, wow. sort of on on my own. At, there's an amazing school in Toronto that does a lot of Limone. So I would do that on the weekends as well as do some Limone at school. And I think that that's really present still in the work that I do. Do you know Risa's a famous Limone dancer? Yes, you're, yes. So you're Risa dramaturg I, so for this piece. Risa Steinberg is working with me as a choreographic advisor is mm-hmm, the term that mm-hmm. she prefers. But um which is a whole nother tangent of just how amazing working with Risa is and, and what she's brought. And again, thank you to the Institute for supporting that part of this process and having Risa with me because mm-hmm. it's hard to explain what she brings because it's so many facets. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also 
really a deep knowledge yeah. of understanding choreography she, and dance and movement and structure and right so i thought that she would give me feedback on the structure of the work and say you know this doesn't make sense or why is that dancer exiting there whatever and she does do that she does give me feedback on the structure of the work but she's also giving me a ton of feedback on how to coach the mm-hmm. dancers or, or or just suggestions on what she's seeing in me and how she thinks I could get that out of them. She's a remarkable teacher at Juilliard. Yes. yes. Yeah. And then she's also mm-hmm. just been the most amazing ally. Mm. And, you know, going through a creative process, especially when it's my first commission for New York City Ballet. It's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And she's helped me so much not get overwhelmed. Yeah. And she's reminded me at every turn of my voice. Every thought that she gives me, every question that she brings up is all to bring me closer to myself. Mm -hmm. It's the most remarkable thing. It's the most incredible gift that I've had in this process because it's not about criticizing or judging the work. It's all about leading me to grow closer to me. Right, right. And you can get Especially when you come into a space that has such a defined aesthetic, it's and the dancers look so beautiful mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to go, oh well, that looks great. Let's just do that. Mm-hmm. But Risa's always encouraging me to stick to myself and to to be true to my voice. And so, yeah, that's just been the most amazing gift. I hope I can work with her forever ah. because it's it's, not, it's something new that the institute has been doing yeah. under Adrian Danchik Waring's yes. leadership. Yeah, and I worked with a couple of different dramaturgs through my sessions at the Institute, but never with Risa. And then this past July, Adrian said, Risa's available, but she's going to be, I think she was in Vienna mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So we could either get you somebody else who's going to be in New York when you're in New York, or you can work with Risa over Zoom. And I had heard of Risa. Mm-hmm. We had never worked together, never met, but I'd heard of her. And mm-hmm. I said, I'll do If she's on the moon, I'll go to the moon. <laughs> you know? And so we had these conversations mm-hmm. on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And I would send videos. And it was only a week. It was just five days, six days maybe in the studio. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty minimal, pretty quick process. But it was so, even in that short process, Risa's impact was so monumental to me. That I said to Adrian, I, I cannot believe that I've ever done this without her. But also that I am gonna do the do the commission without her because even for that small process, it was so valuable. Mm-hmm. And so to his credit, mm-hmm. he figured out a way to make that happen. Amazing. And and I really, I mean, I can't say enough about the institute and sort of to use Adrian's words, the continuity of care mm-hmm. from my first session getting the commission, my second session, and then even through the pandemic, I did a film session and then the extension session in July. Mm -hmm. And then the Institute continuing to support me with Risa here. Mm -hmm. So Adrian and I talk a lot about the, especially in a time where we're looking for more diverse voices, what does it mean not just to commission more women or to commission more choreographers of color, but to actually invest in their voices? It's one thing to just throw somebody on a program and go, tick, look, we mm-hmm, did it. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing to actually build the next generation of choreographers mm-hmm. because the choreographers that are, are most impactful now and through history didn't knock it out of the park every single time. Right. 
And we just forget mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. Those ballets that didn't survive didn't survive a lot of the time for a reason. Mm-hmm. And they just disappear and nobody remembers. Right. Yeah. But if we, you know, commission a woman or commission a choreographer of color and it doesn't go well on the first try or we don't actually give them the resources they need to succeed the first time around. Right. Then they just fall off the map. They disappear. And what have we done other than pat ourselves on the back? Exactly. So it's about that investment in the development of the voice mm-hmm. and the development of the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I remember when you were casting and you mentioned that you kind of wanted a, a core of soloists-ish. Mm, Each yeah. dancer in the core, you, you very, were very specific with who you chose for the core because they had to really hold up for, and I, I don't know what, you're, what you've done with them besides the first movement, but right. I just, I'm interested in how you cast your dancers, what you were looking for in regards to what you started three years ago. You right, know, right. Did you really know coming in, like, what you were looking for? Did you see the dancers? Perf- you were just like, I don't, class doesn't work for me. I need yeah. to see them on stage. <laughs> well, and in rehearsals. And in rehearsals. I think, I mean, first of all, I hate casting from class because yeah. class is not my time. It's the dancer's time. Mm. So if they're taking it a little bit easy that day or if they're working on something in particular, they shouldn't change their process because I'm sitting at the front of the room. I also don't find that I learn a lot from watching someone do bar other than what their technique is like. Yeah. I, I'm more interested in how they move and I'm more interested in how they are as people in the room because mm-hmm. like with Jack, the hangout ability, not that we're spending a lot of time, you know, sitting around chatting, but you do spend a lot of time with these people and being at the front of the room is very vulnerable. So I have to feel like they're on the ride with me. So I really look for dancers that are game to try. I often describe the choreographic process or any creative process as like an archaeological dig. It's a lot of dirt. (laughs) And then we're, you know, wiping away and Mm -hmm. we find maybe we find a little gem here and there. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of dirt to go through. And especially my process involves a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. And I like to see something real in front of me I can't just make it all in my head Mm -hmm. and so that requires dancers that are willing Mm -hmm. to try that Mm -hmm. and are willing to try that with you know a positive energy and movers I like people that can move Risa and I were talking about this the other day she said you're not just interested in the destination you're really interested in how they get there and I love seeing the pathway. I love seeing the transition. Mm-hmm. I love the mechanics I, of, you know, the bodies working together. It's not just about the pictures. Mm-hmm. I like a pretty picture, too, but right. I, I want to see the whole... I want to lift up the hood of the car and see what's the, what's the, what's then, happening. Because you see the real deal in there. I mean, a picture, people can make a beautiful line, but if you can't get into that line and out of that line or whatever it is... Then what's really interesting about that? It's dead. Yeah. It's dead, and yeah. that's where the lifeblood is in that the transition and the journey of the body from one space to another. Yeah, and that's what I love about dancing too. Mm-hmm. When I'm moving, and I create a lot through my own body. Mm-hmm. When I'm moving, I am all about riding the roller coaster, and the the analogy that I use all the time is that rehearsal is about building this roller coaster so that it's safe and it's going to happen relatively the same way every time. You know, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, loop-de-loop, and mm-hmm. then we go up and then whoa, 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 down mm-hmm. at the kind of roughly the same moment every time. But 
when you're performing or when you're when you're running it you get to just strap in and ride the ride Mm -hmm. and you want to show the audience the feeling of being on the ride now not the memory of being on the ride three weeks ago Mm -hmm. so you're actually feeling your stomach drop you're Mm -hmm. actually feeling whoa that swing around the corner and it's a real-time experience it's so funny because i watched your first hour of, of work because the rep director hadn't shown up so i was like i'll be there for you and i was watching you get your start with the dancers and you're like okay everybody let's try this movement and i really felt like i was riding in their bodies like i was <laughs> riding with them like figuring out the movement and i'm sitting in a chair but mm-hmm. i could not stop like feeling the momentum you were building within and i would have never done this and i didn't do this because i'm <laughs> I have a position here, but I, I wanted to get up and move with them. You would yeah. have been more than well. I'm just trying to figure it out with them. And it was fun to watch them just chew on the mm-hmm. on the, this new material. Because, yeah, every time we have a new voice and a new movement style or a person's, like, individual mm-hmm. style, it's always a learning curve. And some people get it faster than another person. But so it's fun to watch them figure it out on their own and see who gets there and how yeah and everybody's process is different i think this movement vocabulary is really natural for some of them and then really not for others Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean they're not capable it just it's kind of that they're not going to grow a mile from this experience yeah it's just kind of where we're all start we all start at different points on the ladder but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that we can't all get to the top Mm -hmm. and then some people just work more slowly or everybody's process is different but looking for the I mean casting the dancers some of them I knew from institute sessions so I mean Quinn is actually one of the dancers who was in the original 2019 version and also Charlie is um, and they were in the school then they were in the school so Quinn Quinn Starner Quinn Starner was originally not even in it because she wasn't in the, I think she was in the C level or whatever mm-hmm. it is at SAB, mm-hmm. but we needed understudies just in mm-hmm. case at the institute, and somebody ended up getting hurt, and so she went in, and then Charlie Klessa, who's a, an apprentice here now, who's understudying and covering the work now for the company, was also in the original. And then there's a few other dancers that I knew from institute sessions but didn't get to work with, like KJ Takahashi Mm -hmm. was there, but I didn't get him even though Mm -hmm. I wanted him. And then the second institute session, I asked for him again, and I didn't get him again. He's in very high demand, that guy. Man, I'm just going to have to... Mm -hmm. I thought, if I get that company commission and I don't get to KJ, I'm going to be upset. But um, I got him just in the nick of time before his promotion. Yes. But I, yeah, I was interested in a core. I wanted to use a core to ballet in a traditional sense, but then also in a non-traditional way. So in the first movement, we see them very much as a core to ballet and their movement together is very structured and it's very linear. And then we see in the second movement, it totally break apart and we get to see them more as individuals. And so the entire second, there's no principles in the second movement. It's all the core. And there's a few solos and duets and mm-hmm. uh, pas de trois. And it's like we get to zoom in on the, the body, on the, the individual. Court of ballet. Yeah. And then they get kind of sucked back in, mm-hmm. uh, back into the machine. And they, they fight against it until they all kind of break out at, at the end. Or do they? We don't know. Yeah. So there was a few dancers that I 
had worked with and there was some that I was a fan of from being a fan of the company. Mm -hmm. And also during the pandemic, the company had so many amazing digital offerings Mm -hmm. that I got to watch the company a lot. I mean, some of those videos were older, so you didn't get to see the younger, newer people. But Naomi Cordy, I remember seeing in one of those videos uh, from the digital season Mm -hmm. and and put Naomi on my list. And when I came to cast, I wanted to watch rehearsal a lot Mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk to Glenn and I wanted to talk to you Mm -hmm. because I really wanted to make sure that this was everyone is talented Mm -hmm. that's not a question good fits for you yeah but I wanted to make sure that they were a good fit for me and for my process and Mm -hmm. so yeah it's been it's been great and and the principals have been incredible and the second cast for the principals as well stepping up and stepping in have been unbelievable and so I'm really glad that they're going to get an opportunity to perform it as well yeah because they they've worked so hard and and they're stunning and I love seeing I love seeing a second cast because I'm really interested in a different interpretation yeah I'm extremely specific Mm -hmm. and the work is really musical so Mm -hmm. sometimes it can feel like there isn't a lot of room for interpretation Mm -hmm. but I I like to think that as the choreographer I make the coloring book Mm -hmm. and I can be specific about you know I want it to be red Mm -hmm. in this part and blue Mm -hmm. in this part Mm -hmm. or it could even be I'd like it to be a really deep rich red Mm -hmm. but the way that that's colored in the way that that's shaded maybe going outside the lines here and there is really up to the dancers Mm -hmm. And so seeing their interpretation and their personality come out through the movement is so exciting. That's my favorite thing, too, is to see multiple different people doing the same steps. Yeah, and the absolutely. Same, to the same music, same choreography, but have themselves be revealed within it. So mm-hmm. That's something we really love to cultivate here. I don't know if every company is quite the same like that, but it's really something that's was built into our roots, and I think that's something that we're really investing in now Mm -hmm. and opening up that and keeping that a strong part of our... I think especially when you have so much legacy repertoire, Mm -hmm. it has to evolve Mm -hmm. with the people that are doing it, and Mm -hmm. that's how the work stays alive and relevant. Mm -hmm. It has to have the space to grow and... Yeah, I can only hope that my work is being performed, mm-hmm. you know, decades after I pass. Yeah. But I hope it's being done, and I hope it's being done in a way that people feel they have space to put themselves into it, because that was always my intention in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Let this be the record. Yeah! <laughs> Someone will dig this up in a yeah. time capsule. <laughs> a time capsule. <laughs> Since you had all this time from the very start of your piece to this now, this commission that you're, all, are you done with the piece? No. no. Okay, almost done though. Almost, almost done. done. Yeah, almost done. And within that, these big life shifts like your baby yeah. happened. Did that? I just, I don't have a child, but I'm wondering what kind of shift she brought into your right. creativity. Yeah, wow. I mean, that'll be in the time capsule as well yeah. for her to hear Aww. when she's grown up Hmm. I think becoming a parent has changed everything Hmm. about my life both logistically and also just emotionally and spiritually and Mm -hmm. on a purely logistical standpoint 
I don't have time to stew in the way I used to. When I go home, I'm running after rehearsal to put her to bed and to be with her and spend time with her. When I wake up in the morning with her, it's much earlier than I would Mm -hmm. like, but I'm trying to take her to the park before I come here. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to be present with her. It doesn't let me get in my own head as much. And I honestly, I can be quite an anxious person. And I've been wondering why I've been, haven't been freaking out throughout this process. Mm. <laughs> and I kept thinking, is it Risa? Mm. Is it, why am I not freaking mm. out? And I think it's a combination mm-hmm. of things. But definitely as challenging as it is to do this work and work at, at this level and with this intensity and then also go home and take care of a toddler. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have it any other way because I feel like being a parent has brought me closer to myself in a lot of ways because it's helped me shed the excess that I was holding on to. And it's with my work, it's helped me focus, but it's also brought me a lot of gratitude because... I know how many things have had to go right for me to be here and to be here with my daughter. I have a husband who is both willing and incredibly capable of taking care of her full time. We call him stay at hotel dad. <laughs> and and he's he also has a career that is flexible enough to allow him to be here with her while I'm working. And then we go home back to Toronto. He'll have a gig and I'll be I'll be with Sawyer full time and just being in a, you know, purely financial position to be able to manage us basically being a single income family. And then the institutions that I'm working for supporting us staying somewhere that's going to be more suitable for our daughter and our, our families who are flying out for the premiere to alternate, you know, supporting us in the theater and also taking care of our child my in-laws are going to babysit on the opening night and then my parents are going to babysit on the second show. Mm-hmm. And our family of friends, our chosen family in Toronto who step up for us in immeasurable ways. When I was first starting to choreograph and I was looking around at women, particularly working in ballet, and there weren't a ton that There weren't a ton anyway, but there weren't a ton that were mothers. And there's a million reasons why, but it's so challenging. There's a million puzzle pieces that have to fit together, dominoes that have to fall to make this possible. And it's not lost on me how fortunate I am to be in this position. So it's made me more present at work. It's made me more present at home. I'm way more tired. I'm really tired. <laughs> but but it's brought, you know, just endless joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to Kathy Marston, who's an incredible choreographer and the new artistic director of Zurich, Zurich mm-hmm. when I was pregnant. And I reached out and said, hi, this is who I am. And I'm about to have a baby and you have children. And she wrote me back within an hour and said, call me on Saturday. Here's my number. And we talked for an hour about what it's like to live this kind of nomadic life of being a freelance choreographer with children. And I think 
her kids are a bit older than mine, obviously, and it was super challenging for her, and it's challenging for me too, but I hope for the next person it's even less and that we can cultivate, yeah, a new way of being for for all parents, not just for mothers. I think this is also part, part of supporting female choreographers. Not all women have children, but many do, and this is the reality of that. I don't want to just disappear for the next you know, 10, 15 years and then come back. I don't know that I could. So I hope that my daughter, I don't know, think she'll remember, you know, being in New York for these six weeks or being wherever we are for my work for the next couple of years. But hopefully it instills in her this idea that you don't have to give up everything to be a parent that you can and that you should continue striving for your own individual goals while still being part of that family unit. And that doesn't mean that I wouldn't give everything for my daughter. Mm. And also it will instill in her a love of travel and being in new places. Making new friends, creativity. Adaptability. We've traveled a ton with her, both for work and, and for personal stuff. And she can pretty much be happy anywhere and hopefully that stays because I know even if she doesn't she won't remember this time I will remember how special this has been to be here and be doing this really big work thing and then this really big life thing so beautiful how you put (laughs) that into words I I was just trying not to cry. <laughs> no, I know. You're, I feel the same way. It's like we've been trying so hard at New York City Ballet to really in, invest in humanity mm. and in the human artist. And having you here and watching it in real time <laughs> um, and to hear you say this is the greatest thing for me. And to have you talk about being a female freelance choreographer, ballet choreographer, and a new mom and, and all of this is, it's it's profound. And it's not stuff that you, you, we always think, oh, wait, what's happening in five more minutes? You know, five, you're, you're up and it's like, we're watching a clock all the time, but right. then to slow down and really digest what's, what real life is about and, mm. um, and how that really goes into your work and that makes for special. Uh, just, yeah. just, yeah. I think every work that I make is a kind of a time capsule of my life when I make it. Mm-hmm. And so this one being stretched over four years and stretched over the pandemic and the birth of my child is sort of strange. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's it's holding a lot in there. But I think what you're saying about investing in humanity, it's hard to do in these big institutions because there's a lot of people. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of people and never enough time never so enough time always and trying to raise money yeah to the get the job done the and train make it is exciting always rolling yeah. and you just you got to jump on or mm-hmm. get left behind mm-hmm. but then like this work is talking about mm-hmm. it's finding yourself in this space and finding room and finding moments for you to be your own human vulnerable self inside of this churning mm-hmm kind of relentless pace Mm -hmm. and as we move forward in these big with these big social changes that are happening and that have 
you know, started over the last few years and hopefully continue. This is, I think, the most important thing that we're recognizing mental health in a different way. And we're recognizing that that churning of the of the machine or that relentless pace isn't always healthy for everyone. And so instead of letting people fall by the wayside, how can we have something that's going to catch those people and bring them back onto the train when they can or slow the train a little bit if we can mm-hmm. it's hard mm-hmm. but that's really the essence of this work is talking about what it means to be a flawed vulnerable human inside of these spaces mm-hmm. and create great art in it yeah yeah and collaborate at the highest level because that mm-hmm. great art requires humanity mm-hmm. And so if we're not leaving space for that, then we're, we're cutting off our resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we have to keep making space for, for that. I love you. <laughs> I love you, Wendy. I'm so happy that you're here with us. Thank you. I'm so happy I to be here. I am so excited for this work. Risa is, has been really, really excited about it as well. That May means 4th. so much. May 4th. May 4th. The world premiere. May the 4th be with you. World (laughs) premiere, Standard Deviation of New York City Ballet, Mm -hmm. Elisa Pyers, Jack Frerer, and uh, and then four or five more shows after that. So if you miss May 4th, there will be more performance. And D.C. Yeah. It it will grow. It will continue on, Mm -hmm. and you can catch this beautiful new work coming up soon. And thanks for gracing us with your space and with your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you for listening to City Ballet. To stay up to date on episode releases, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope to see you soon in the theater, so head over to nycballet.com to have a look at what's on stage.